This is Melissa, and it's the 7th of September, 2023. And I will be sharing with you a recording that I did when my Aunt Mary was visiting for a few days in July. So we recorded this when she was 95 years old. Yesterday, she celebrated her 96th birthday. And I think you'll be amazed at how engaged with life she is. She's always learning, curious, has a lot of projects on the go. She's had an interesting life, done a lot, and she shared a little bit of that with us. Yesterday, I was on the phone with a woman that I'm going to record a real history with in a couple of weeks, and she discovered Alan's work after he passed away. She was able to take early retirement. We've all lived through a few crazy years, and that has spurred her to spend a lot of her time researching and trying to understand what's going on. And that is how she discovered Alan's work. She wanted to get past that, you know, Democrat versus Republican, all of the things that are laid out for us to spend our lifetimes on, politics and fighting over religion or race and racial differences and It's just, it's sad. It really is unfortunate that that these things are put out for us to get so lost and consumed by. But she was talking about what, you know, what do you do with the information and how do you find your true purpose? And it is interesting to, you know, to talk to someone who is retired and still looking for purpose. And I told her Basically, what Alan had shared with me, when you understand, when you have a better understanding of reality, that knowledge can bring with it the what spurs you to find your purpose. And that can be when you're 20 or 30 or 50 or 70. It's the uncovering process. And Alan would say, hopefully, we're always, always learning about ourselves and about the world and how the world really works. And Alan would say that finding that purpose can bring you meaning, that that is your true purpose and meaning can come with that. And that is, I, I, like uh, the word that comes to mind is consolation because reality is pretty horrific when you face it head on. So the consolation is that you have a purpose. There is a purpose in you knowing what you know. And so how do you use your talents, your strengths, and your weaknesses to do something with what you know and your new understanding? And it isn't just proselytizing or preaching, oh, you know, that's not true, that's not how the world works, because then, you know, as Alan would say, you're just a control freak, like the people who want to control our lives, you know. Uh, we are all here to pursue our own purpose. And she, the woman that I was speaking with was talking about Alan's serious way of putting the information across. I said, yes, but he did laugh quite a bit in his personal life. Um, and he told me that when you know what you know, you can't, of course, shut it off. You don't unknow it, and it's always with you. So you're with friends, you're in a social gathering, you are playing music or listening to music or gardening, whatever it is that you're doing, 
that knowledge is always with you and it has a profound effect on you. But that doesn't mean that you can't laugh or enjoy beauty or, you know, have your creative outlet. These things are part of the process of being, it's part of the experience of being fully human and fully alive. And in the redux that I just put up on the weekend, Alan was talking about how, unfortunately, in this system, so few people are able to integrate all of their personality. Um, When he went on to say, we're not taught how to be individuals. So I was sad. I had anticipated that this would be a two-part, and it would be about 45 minutes of Mary, and then at some point down the road, I would do the rest of the conversation with Mary, and Betty had actually joined at one, the, the tail end of it. And I'm just going to say right now that when Betty joined us, I don't know what I did wrong, but it did not record. So sad. Because the two of them talked about the experiences of that they'd had in World War II, being with men, I mean, in the case of Mary, she met uh, my uncle after the war, right after the war, and he had not been stationed abroad, but was stateside, so he hadn't seen action. And with my Aunt Betty, she was married to someone who did see uh, a lot of action. He was a gunner on a plane, and he came home, she described it, shell-shocked and with malaria. And her brother-in-law also came home badly shell-shocked, but did recover, was able to marry and have children. And, you know, but it was an interesting conversation about the effects of war on particularly women. And then Mary shared a wonderful story about her trip out to see the Crazy Horse Monument. And you'll discover that Mary learned to sculpt and someone that she had taken classes with has been involved in this project out there in South Dakota, which is going to be bigger than Mount Rushmore. Huge monument that is under construction and has been for a number of years. So I hope you enjoy this. I was inspired by my Aunt Mary because she is fully engaged in life. She's a bright and curious and always learning Uh, always wanting to figure things out for herself. She's independent. She is creative. I'd call her a dynamo at 96, so enjoy. Today I am so excited to be joined by my Aunt Mary. And Mary, my my cousin, actually just sent a, a message yesterday or the day before and said, I'm on my way up with the children. Um, Mom wanted to visit an old friend. I'm dropping her off, and um, so is that okay? And she's actually staying over at Aunt Betty's house, and you've all heard Aunt Betty talking before, so this is exciting to me. And I, I saw Mary, it's been almost a year since I saw you, and then before that it was many, many years. Mm-hmm. So you can say hello to everybody who's listening. Hello. It's very nice to say hello to all of you. <laughs> it's very interesting to me that you have so many listeners and they are interested in what you're saying and the interviewers are giving their thoughts about life. <laughs> it is. It's a, been a fun uh, thing to do because I'm get to know people and and hearing their family their 
family stories, their backgrounds, their education, and I've talked to people from all over the world, so it has been a lot of fun. But I wanted to just briefly tell people just a little bit about you, and then we can talk about whatever you want to. But my Aunt Mary was married for a number of years, 28 years, to my uncle. That was my dad's older brother. So that is the relationship. I have two fine cousins from that. It was a, the fondest memories. I have to say this now. I don't want to embarrass you. But when I was a child, I just had this memory of my Aunt Mary being the most beautiful woman that I had ever seen in my life and talented and sweet on top of that. <laughs> so if you want to share anything about your childhood, your background, your education, to me it's so amazing. And some of the things that I just learned about you in this last year blew me away. I'll just say one. For instance, when my older brother went down to visit you last year, he came back reporting that you had your pilot's license, that you had learned to fly. I never knew that. Oh. <laughs> so. Flying was uh, flying was a real adventure for me um, because all, all, kind of all of my life I have felt like I wasn't quite as intelligent as I would really like to be. But the funny thing was that after I learned to fly, and I flew by myself, uh, you know, many, many times, it gave me uh, a renewed look at myself. And I thought, you know, you're smarter than you thought you were. <laughs> And after that, it really made a difference in our life. And of course, just being able to fly up in that beautiful blue sky, and it was just a most amazing adventure for me. I loved it. And I've always been very thankful that I had the opportunity. And this is one thing that I've taught my students at school, to never pass up a chance on learning something. Mm -hmm. Even if you know you're not going to use it, learn it. Because it increases everything mentally about yourself. And I do believe in learning new things. But the fact that I had the opportunity to learn to fly, and I took the opportunity, even though I was very, very fearful of the small airplanes. I got in that airplane, and one funny thing happened. When you're flying, you learn how to stall the plane, which means that you cut off the engine and you have stalled the plane in the air. And I was afraid of that. And I, in my mind, I thought, well, you know, we won't ever do that on the first lesson. So we got to the plane, and I said to the pilot, now you get in the pilot's seat. And he said, well, I will, but I'm accustomed to teaching on the passenger side. So, <laughs> so I got in the pilot's side, and we flew, and I learned a lot that day. And in the meantime, 
he stalled the playing on the first lesson. And I got that fear over, uh, which was wonderful, you know, because that, that was the only real fear that I had. I was anxious about it, but the fear was that stalling that plane in the air with the engine dead. Yeah. But it worked out, and I, I just learned it. And when I, I did my solo, I touched ground, flew up six times. I would fly over, come down, touch the land, go back up, and I did it six times. Wow. My instructor said, Mary, I thought you were never going to land. <laughs> I said, well, I got to where I liked it, you know. <laughs> so, but it was quite a, quite a deal for me. Well, I wanted to just say, before we dive into other in- interesting things, you said you have a birthday coming up in two months, which I couldn't believe because I was just down to see you in the very tip. Mary lives at the bottom of Texas, which is a long way away. It's it's a little more than an eight-hour drive. It's a big state. And I was down to visit you, I think it was late last August. So that was a lot of fun. And we're going to touch on all of the things that you showed me when I visited. Amazing! <laughs> but uh, you had that you had that birthday and now we're coming up it'll be two months so you have another so how old are you i'm 95 we'll be 96 in september unbelievable <laughs> and sharp as a tack i might say i, I hope so <laughs> so you <clears throat> trained to be a music teacher and that's what you did for many years or no no okay. the story of my becoming a band director is really interesting. Oh, I didn't, I'd never heard it, so let's go. We lived in White Oak, Texas, and my husband was a band director in White Oak. And we had moved from a very small school. And at the small school, there was a coach. And unknowing to me, he had observed that I was very interested in the band. His name was um, Lanky. Lanky moved to another school, which was Union Grove. Mm -hmm. And the superintendent at Union Grove lost his band director. And so the superintendent came to our home in White Oak and visited with with Wally. And he told Wally how much the job paid and told him all about it and he asked Wally about different directors and Wally told him the truth and said no he uses dope you don't want to use him you know and he he mentioned several band directors but none of them really did Wally agree that that they could do the job And, and I had on an apron which I never really wore and I was washing dishes so I walked to the door of the kitchen and looked into the living room and I dried, I was drying my hands on that apron and I said to the superintendent, man, are you looking for a band director at this time of the year? It was about two weeks before school started. And he said, yes, I am. And then he turned to Wallace and he said, the main reason I came here today was to hire your wife 
for my band director. Mm. And Wally and I looked at each other, and immediately Wally said, would you pay her what you said? He said, why, of course. So he's your husband and your manager at this point. <laughs> yeah. And so we talked for a little bit, you know, and he said, he being the superintendent, said, why don't you come to the school tomorrow afternoon at 2.30 and we can talk about it. So, okay. So Wally and I talked about band all night. You know, the trombone, the flutes, the clarinets, the oboes. And we got up the next morning and um, we went to the little school. It was about 15 miles from where we lived. We went in his office and I'm telling you, in just a matter of minutes, that man handed me the keys to that band hall. <laughs> and I became the band director. And I studied and I learned and I, and the little band was it was down to about seventeen people. So I learned with the children and I ended up with a hundred and twenty five piece band, first division band. Wow. And I stayed there for eight years or nine years. Now, did you already know how to play the clarinet? Mm -hmm. So you were an mm -hmm. accomplished, you were a good clarinetist. Yeah. Yeah. So. But that was the only instrument that I knew. Right. But before long, I was teaching, I, I was, I learned all of it. Wow. And, and, um, but oh, the first thing we had to play for the football games, you know, and of course the little children just didn't know what they were doing. But we got out there and they had their instruments and you have never heard such wrong notes in your life. <laughs> I can still hear the, <laughs> You're traumatized. the notes. But overall, I taught, I was a band director for 19 years. Wow. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. Now, we'll cut way, way ahead in the story. All right. But you had taught for a long, long time, not just music, but other things, but you had not taught long enough for the full pension. And if I get it wrong, you can correct me, but m my mother and father had an opportunity when they were down in the south of Texas. They got you down and that time that you were able to do at the school where they were working got you the full pension? Is that? Yeah. Is that well, right? Yes. Okay. Um, they were teaching at one school and the airport elementary needed uh, a music teacher, an elementary music teacher. Mm -hmm. And your mother called and said, Mary, get down here and interview because there are music jobs. Randy drove me down there, and I got, I got an interview with the teach with the principal, and I got an interview with her, and she hired me. Then I came, and they gave me two weeks to go back home and come back down and start teaching. So Randy drove me back home, and I packed up, left my house, and. Randy drove me back to the valley, and then he flew back to Dallas. And I, I stayed there. I taught school at West Laco for eight years wow. and really, really enjoyed it. Many of the teachers from the north come down to the south, but they can't handle the culture, and they go back. 
But and the culture, just because there are listeners from all over the world and everything, the the culture is it's a border town, and you live in a different town now, but it's on mm. the border of Texaco. Texaco. <laughs> it's on the border of Texas and Mexico. Yeah. And there are a lot of Hispanic people there, and mm-hmm. so that is the culture that you're talking about. It's really uh, more yes. Hispanic than yeah. than Caucasian. Uh, and and the the um, the Mexican people, they have such large families, and they celebrate for everything, and they don't really have time to invite their friends over, like we do in East Texas, you know, but. The, it doesn't mean they don't love you or they don't like you. They just don't have time because they have so many family members and they celebrate everything, birthdays, anniversaries, and all. And um, But what Randy and I did, we read a book called Understanding Your Neighbor. And after we read that book, I was completely satisfied with it and stayed there for eight years. What was it that people from the north of Texas didn't like about the culture, and what was it that you learned in that book that helped you to... The book helped me to know that these Mexican people were very kind and very thoughtful. You can't believe how nice these people are. They help you. The men will say, "Lady, can I help you?" The ladies will, or and the men will take my groceries out of the basket and put it on the counter. No, I'll help you. They'll say, and and but see, the the, the people in the north, they didn't stay there long enough to really experience the kindness that these people have. Mm-hmm. I think you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that you were never invited to their homes, but it didn't mean that they didn't like you. It just meant that, <laughs> you know, we, we have so many anniversaries, we, we just don't have time. And that was kind of one of the main things. But, and I'm really not sure what else the, the northern people couldn't handle, but, but they couldn't. Now, I have one friend from the north, she taught there 37 years. She oh, just wow. retired this past year. And uh, she's been there all that time. And we were very close friends. And at school, in the afternoon, she was the computer teacher and I was the music. And for some reason, we started waiting on each other in the library after school was out. If I got there first, I would wait for her. And if she got there first, she would wait for me. And then we would just walk out of the building together to our cars. Now, why we started doing that, I don't know. But it's it got to so that it was important. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't dare walk out without Violet, <laughs> and she wouldn't walk out without me. And so I, I always thought that was really neat. It's kind of a bonding, you know, after a day's work that you have. You have this little bonding that you look forward to, and we'd talk, you know. And and she was crippled and um, had a hard time walking, but we we managed, and we did that for years. Just wait on each other and walk out, walk out together. And I've always, I kind of have always admired that because it was special to us. Mm-hmm.
I really enjoy the city of McAllen because of the kindness and courtesy of the people. Mm -hmm. Almost every time I go out, somebody helps me. And and they don't have to, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but they do it on their own. Mm -hmm. Now, we're jumping all over the place, and that's okay, too. But it, when we were talking about culture, it just came into my head that you, my, my cousin, your daughter, had spent many, many years in Mexico with her husband, who was a priest, and they were in a beautiful, beautiful city north of... Um, Mexico, Mexico City, City. Mm -hmm. and a, a city that attracted artists from all over the world, but it had a lot of culture, and what we definitely have to talk about your art. Okay. And I don't know if you want to go back to the beginning. You were you taught school for uh, band yeah. for eight years. I don't know if you want to talk a little bit more about that, and then life between that and art. Uh, I think being a being a teacher, I think we pretty well covered everything. Okay. I, I really, I, I taught at Union Grove for eight years, and then I moved to Kilgore, Texas, and taught a band director there for ten years. And was that at the secondary level high school or one year? Mm -hmm. I hired they hired me as a band as a high school band director because they couldn't find anybody that was real good that late in the school year. So I, I was the band director for the high school for one year. And they would have hired me more, but I didn't. I wanted to go back to the, the junior. I liked, the, I liked the teaching the juniors and the beginners. Mm -hmm. So I think we pretty well covered that. But the art was kind of, um, it was just such a wonderful adventure for me. And I remember going to museums and I would look at the bronze pieces and look at them carefully. And I would think to myself, you know, with the right teacher, I think I could do this. When Sherry and Michael moved to San Miguel, there was a very fine sculpture teacher there at the university. And one Christmas, Randy and I were there and we went out to the university and I stood in front of the sculpture studio and I said to Randy, Randy, take my picture because I'm coming here next summer and I'm going to learn to sculpt. <laughs> and then I said, Oprah Winfrey says, if you want to do something, start talking about it. <laughs> So I came back to the high school, I mean to the to the airport elementary, and I started saying, I'm going to San Miguel this summer and I'm going to study sculpture. You won't believe it, but I'm going to San Miguel and I'm going to study sculpture. And I did. And that first class, there was a man from Florida that came every year and studied at this school, at this class. And um, his name was Norman, and I enjoyed. He saw my first portrait, and one day he—I was working on it—and one day he said to me, "He said, Mary, you don't really realize how good that is, do you?" And I thought, "Well, man, I'm, I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that sounds good, you know." And the first portrait 
was of a 92-year-old Mexican lady, and she sat there with little eyes partially closed, but she was my first model, and I have a bronze model portrait of her in my house. And in the summertime, when I went back, I found her in the plaza sitting, and I brought her some flowers, and she remembered me, you know, and we... I don't speak Spanish, but we we had a a mutual admiration of each other. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> but that was that was my first experience of of going of learning to sculpt. And then I went there for three more summers and studied. And then I came back and finished my last year of teaching. Went back and studied that summer went to Dallas to my home and I studied there and then I moved to Austin and I studied there then the rest of the time. One of my teachers I have had 84 classes with. Wow. Yeah. So my head is full of information that he taught me and sculpting just, I've been retired almost 23 years and I still enjoy sculpting and and many other things. <laughs> but the sculpting, I gave myself five years to learn all the basics of sculpting, to learn all the, the most important things that I needed to learn to become a fine sculptor. And at the end of, and, and sometimes I would be taking two classes at a time. Mostly it was one, but I'd take two. And at the end of five years, I had accomplished that. Mm-hmm. And so I just kept taking classes. Mm-hmm. And I've been taking classes ever since. And it was, one reason for the classes is number one, you have a teacher. And number two, you have a model. And models, models are expensive. You can't really afford a model for just yourself. Mm-hmm. But if you took a class, you would have a teacher and a model. Yeah. yeah, and a model. And so I just kept studying. I just studied any class I could take. I would, I would, and we had, we had about five very famous sculpture teachers that came to Austin at different times Mm -hmm. and I was able to take a class from every one of them and learned a lot from each one, you know. And so I've had excellent teachers and I've worked very hard. I worked very hard Mm -hmm. at at getting everything right and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was it's the best thing that I could have done in retirement. Mm What is it about the process, it may be more than one thing, of sculpting that you so enjoy? I think just taking a ball of clay and rolling it out, taking an armature of wire, you know, metal wire, and pushing the clay into the armature and coming out with a beautiful figure. Or for portraits, for bronze portraits, I mean, clay portraits. You look at the person 
and you do your very best to mirror everything that you see. You know, their eyes, their nose, and you learn the proportions of the, of the body and just the feel of clay is therapeutic to me. Mm-hmm. And just to take that clay and keep working and pretty soon you have this beautiful portrait. Mm-hmm. And most all of my pieces I had a model for. But the four pieces that have won awards, I didn't have models for. That came out of my head. Well, what does that tell you? <laughs> You've got a really good head. <laughs> got a good head. Yeah, because one of, one of the ones that came out of my head won four, won four, it won four awards on its own. And then my abstract... Which piece was that? You, you showed me some things last year, and I might remember it. Which one was the one that was the... The, the tall, the tall one. Oh, the elongated. Yes, yes. Oh, that's lovely. It won yeah. four, four oh. awards. Oh, neat. The abstract won third prize in a huge abstract show. Mm-hmm. And nobody was more surprised than me. But the judge said, this is a very innovative piece. <laughs> <laughs> so that pleased me. And then I have another piece that won. Oh, oh, the the three little dancers. Oh yes, yeah. that won third prize in another big big show. Uh huh. And that won third prize. Uh-huh. So, and one day I thought, I thought, you know, all of my awards, they didn't come from models. That's good. <laughs> so. Wait, you told last year when I asked you about the process, you know, what you've just now described is the the making of the form, the working with the clay, the feel of the clay in your hands. But you were describing to me the process of the bronze, how you make a wax, and, and I can't. I wouldn't be able to tell it back to you now. I, I just heard it the one time. If you could tell me again, that it's a strange very complicated process. Anytime you see a bronze piece finished, Mm -hmm. that bronze piece had come from a wax figure just like the piece that you're looking at. And how did they make that wax? Okay. I learned how to how to make figures in wax. I learned the wax process Mm -hmm. and it was very hard to learn. Took me three years to really accomplish it, but that I did accomplish it and I even taught it one time at the studio. But for the normal process, you make your piece, portrait or figure out of clay. Then you take that piece and you put a, a coating on it like chicken fried steak, mm-hmm. you know, you dip it, and dry it, you dip it, and dip it. Okay, so with that clay, you cover it with a, a, a kind of a, let's see, what is it? Anyway, you cover it. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and sometimes you have to put several coats on it to, to cover the um, clay. And then you fire it. 
So you put this covering on the clay on and the then clay, fire it. And then you fire it. And then you t remove the clay and you've got this outside cast. Okay? So the, the covering that you that you put on the piece on the inside of that co of that covering is the figure of the the opening, the cavities from the piece. And after you get the clay out, you put the piece back together. And then you pour the wax in. And then you have to get you pour the wax in. And then you fire it again and the wax is burns out and you have this clay piece that and then so almost like the wax process, that firing process, puts the clay back together again from the... The, the cast that you put around the clay. Mm -hmm. You cut it and you have two pieces. Right. This is the front of the face. This is the back of the face. Ah. Okay, now you're putting those together. Right. And you seal them. And then you put wax in it and pull it apart and now you've got a wax figure and now that wax figure is ready to, to be bronzed when you get when you have the wax piece you cover that with a special covering it's it's kind of like plaster mm -hmm. but it's covered mm -hmm. so you're covering your wax piece mm -hmm. then you put it in an oven Mm -hmm. and you burn out the wax so the wax is pouring out you've got this frame like this okay now when all the wax gets out then then this is where you pour the bronze what an amazingly complicated procedure very even after I did my very first piece it was still hard for me to believe now this is something else that's hard after you, after the bronze cools, you have to chip off, you have to get that out coating off. You have to grind it, you have to learn, and I, I got really good at that. But you have to grind it off to get your figure, your bronze figure. Uh-huh. So the, that special covering is just adhered very tightly, very secure to the bronze that, that you mm. have to take a special electric mm. grinding tool or whatever. Mm. And, get and then, um, and then see now you've got this cat, you've got this cavity. Uh -huh. This is the head, the face. This is the back, the back of the head, and and but but it's together. Mm -hmm. And you've got all these openings, so you pour the bronze in. Mm -hmm. And then it, it takes about an hour for it to cool. And then you take it out of the furnace and you have to get that, you've got to get this, the covering off mm -hmm. and you have to grind it off sometimes. Now, they have, they now have a method that's a little easier to get the bronze out. But I, I, I think I've used it one time, but it, it's a different, it's a different, it's not necessarily just plaster. Mm -hmm. It's a different type of solution, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, oh, now I know. They take the wax figure and they dip it in a solution and they dip it in sand and they let it dry. 
Then they dip it in a thicker solution, a thicker sand, and they let it dry. A thicker solution, a thicker sand. Now what they're doing, they're building the crust on this outside of this. Oh. This is wax. Right. And they're building this crust, and then, right. then they put it in the oven, burn out the wax, and pour, you know, and pour the bronze. Wow. It's very complicated. Mm -hmm. And very expensive. Very expensive. But it is so. The first first piece I did was of my step granddaughter, and when I saw her come out of the fire, I thought she was ruined. I just thought she was ruined. But the the fire, the crust gets all crumbly look. I mean, all, all dirty looking and mm -hmm. everything. And, but then when we got that crust across off of there, she was just beautiful. Bronze. Yeah. So it's called the lost wax process. The lost wax. And for years, I would try to understand the wax process, and I could not. Only after I finally went to San Miguel and saw them do it did I learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. It was interesting yeah. <laughs> because I had been wanting to know what is the lost wax process, you know, mm -hmm. and um, but but. Michelangelo learned it. That's why. Right. That's how he did it. Wow. Neat. So. <laughs> Neat. I'll just say briefly that your little house there is so comfortable and neat. The the neat thing is, it's like a, a U shape around a swimming pool, and the swimming pool. I mean, it sounds all fancy schmancy, but it it's not like that. It's just that when you're in the south of Texas, to have a swimming pool that you can jump into in the middle mm -hmm. of the day is a nice thing. It's a really nice... Yeah. It's yeah. not a luxury. It's almost a necessity. Mm -hmm. But what you have out there on the back porch area, um, Randy also is a potter and... and you, the two of you do some pottery and you've got your own kiln and you do all, a lot of sketching and you've got sketchbooks out there. Oh, it's yeah. just, it's such an artist. I love to mecca. draw. Yeah. I just love pencil drawing. Yeah. There's something about it that just pleases my heart. I just love it. You're and quite I really, good at it. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy what I, you know, I really enjoy it. And I'm really proud of the ones that I've done. They, they really are good. You yeah. know? <laughs> I look at them now and I think, that's pretty darn good, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I was thinking the other day, I thought, you know, this is a very joyful house because everywhere you look, we have happy things to do. Mm-hmm. And you live there with your son, and mm -hmm. your son got married very late in mm -hmm. life mm -hmm. and had children that are now 12, 12 and 13, 14, 12 and 14, mm -hmm. and they're lovely. And uh, so talented. Yeah, uh, they're just amazing. And their mother is a Mexican-American, and she uh, is great. I, yeah. I, I like her a lot. Yeah. I, and the children are bright as they can be and just mm -hmm. and they're and they're they spend a lot of time with you there because Randy and Ashley are no longer married right. but they have a, a good they have, they have a very amiable 
Yeah. You know, it's very nice. And the children are there half the time mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. and, and the little, the young man is, he is um, so compassionate and so loving and uh, very religious. He really is reading the Bible. He's been reading the Bible for a long time. And um, he... What's their religion? or what? I'm not sure if they go to church with him. I don't think she goes to church, but but she's Catholic, and the mother, the grandmother and granddad are Catholic. And they go to church with Randy, who's Protestant, and mm -hmm. their mother mm -hmm. was okay. So, so um, mm -hmm. that's interesting. But, and the little boy is an excellent, excellent drummer. The other day he had a competition. There were 26 drummers, and he was number one. Wow. And another competition, and it was against high school students, and he was number three. And one of the judges made him number two. Mm -hmm. So he, But he works very hard. Mm -hmm. He doesn't just flip around. Mm -mm. He works very hard. Well, Randy, we didn't say that, but Randy is a, an, a, an amazing drummer and a drum teacher. And, so. Yeah, and he is an amazing teacher. Um, he, in, in their school, they have a music memory class, mm -hmm. and they go to competition, and his students always come out with the first. Mm -hmm. They always make perfect papers. And they have to spell the composer's name and their symphonies, mm -hmm. and they learn the symphony and and the composers and and he has a special method of how he teaches them, and every year they have perfect papers. Wow. So he's he's just he really is an amazing teacher. So I've been really proud of him, and. Um, and I thoroughly, I really did enjoy teaching, and I missed it a lot. In fact, the first year that I had retired and moved back to Dallas, I was in a restaurant one night by myself, and there was a mariachi band that was playing. And then a family came in with about four little children, and I just started crying. Except they cried. <laughs> I thought I really miss them. I miss those children. You know, they they were just so precious that you teach. And one time the principal came in and the children were singing, and she said, "They don't sound Spanish. They they don't sound like they." I said, "Well, I've taught them the songs, and I'm English. They're mocking me, and they were just singing." And it sounded just like a little English choir. <laughs> and she was so surprised, so surprised. Um, but one thing, there's one thing that happened that I I have always appreciated. We had we had a marvelous principal. She dressed every day, just gorgeous clothes. And she stood tall and had beautiful posture, and she was just a great, great principal. And she would come in and evaluate you, you know, all the teachers got evaluated. And on my last evaluation, 
She said, I always learn something when I come in your class. And I thought, oh my goodness, what a wonderful compliment that is, you know. And it was, you know, it was really a compliment. And and that was on my last evaluation. <laughs> thrilled me. You know, I just, it really thrilled me that that she felt that way and that she would speak it. You know, a lot of people think things and they don't express them. Mm -hmm. so. Well, so to me, you, well, I, like I said, from the perspective of a little bitty girl, I just thought you were amazing, amazing to look at and listen to and always sweet and, and just perfection. Yeah. And... You've done all these things, some of them I just learned about, but I, I even remember when I was pretty young, and you were living in Dallas then, and we went up to see you, and you had started a business, and yeah, yeah. Th that was just an amazing thing. You were yeah. doing decorations for weddings, mm -hmm. and I mean, we're talking about big, fancy weddings, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> elaborate stuff, and you did that for quite a few years. I did, I, I did, and... I got a patent on one of the products that I was making. I have to, t okay, you got a patent on one of the products. Now, I still remember, how old would I have been when we went to see you? Maybe 12? I, I don't remember, but upstairs you had turned the whole, that whole family room area into your little business. Yeah. And we, you had all of these, what they were, they looked like long stem Roses. That's right. Rose buds. Rose buds. Rose buds. Mm -hmm. And they would, whatever the bride's colors would be, though you would do all of the decorations to mm -hmm. match it naturally. So mm -hmm. it, they might want yellow or pink or red mm -hmm. or purple or pale blue or lavender or whatever. And you'd have these satin rose buds that you would make and fill them with rice. Yeah. And that would be that they could stand out there as they were leaving on their, you know, for their honeymoon and throw the rice. Mm -hmm. But you got a patent on that because it was such a unique mm -hmm. way of folding the shape, maintain containing the rice within the rosebud, and they were just beautiful. Mm -hmm. There's a little tiny story behind it. Mm -hmm. One lady did weddings. And she got in a tight. The lady that had helped her got sick or something. And I'm not sure how she knew that I could help her. But she hired me to come and help her for this one wedding. Mm -hmm. And she had these little cloth tubes, fabric tubes. And she put the rice in that little tube and then tucked the top of the little tube inside which held the rice you would throw it and it all, the rice would all come out but then you got this little tube that's not really pretty or anything mm -hmm. and I went home that night I remember driving home in the car thinking that that's an ugly little thing you know and I went straight to the bedroom and got some fabric out Oh, there's a napkin around. Get a napkin and I'll show you right quick how to make it. 
Okay. Now, the right quick is going to take me a minute, but don't All worry. Right. I'll be right back. All right. I really felt like I could make a better rose, one that would stay pretty after you th threw the rice out. And in a matter of a few minutes, I had it. But it's very difficult for people to make. They have a hard time making it. So I have to do the folding and the rolling of, of the rose, and then other people can finish the stem and the leaves, and that makes that makes a difference for me. It saves me time. Okay, here's a napkin. Okay. You fold it like that, and then see it has a has a little give to it, and then I fold it over like that. Mm. Oh my goodness! You've just made a rosebud out of a napkin, <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny because one of my sculpture friends can just do everything. She's marvelous at watercoloring, and she's just really, really talented. So she wanted to start maybe making these and selling them again, you know. So she came over, and um, I showed her how to do it, and she tried it, and it fell apart. She tried it again, it, it fell apart. And what she, could, what she couldn't do, she couldn't get this side in and then get this side in and tie it together. Mm -hmm. And I've had people try it, and they just can't do it. Mm -hmm. So if I ever did it again, I would have to do the bud, and they would have to do the stem and the leaf. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had a little leaf that went with it. Beautiful. That's it. And then, see, when you threw it and threw the rice out or birdseed out, it stayed pretty. Mm-hmm. Where this other one was like this. Um, let me see if I can show you. With a tube in it. Now, with that business, that you, you got a patent on it, and I'm not surprising because it's beautiful. and, mm -hmm. and I ended, ended up with about 40 products. That were patented? No, no, just oh, one, okay. one that was patented. Yeah. The rose was patented, but I, I had about forty products that I made and sold, and I had a I had an agent, you know, that sold to the stores. And, I didn't know that. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. She she was a salesman, and she would go to the stores and show them the, the different things, and then they'd order, and I'd I'd bake them and mail them out. Crazy. Uh, I mean, so just to just to recap this, you weren't you were baking and cooking for weddings and making the decorations. You were the caterer slash cake baker slash decorator. You were way more than the wedding planner of modern times. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, <laughs> it, it is. We we did. My partner and I, we did everything except the wedding dresses. Mm -hmm. We decorated the churches. We decorated, uh, we, we did all the flowers, the bridesmaids flowers, and the bride's flowers, and all, all the flowers in the church. Um, and we, we, we just, we could do everything. Mm -hmm. And we'd go and we'd price everything. We'd price the food and the, the flowers and give them the bottom price and how much it was gonna cost. And these were, Society weddings. 
Yeah. These were high oh, end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They were. This is Dallas' finest neighborhood weddings. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I got certified as a food handler ah. just to be sure and be legal, right. you know. So I went to class and got certified as a food handler. So that way we legally, you know, um, the only thing is that we didn't have a special kitchen, but we never did get caught on that. <laughs> and um, Well, I, I think the thing that, you know, it amazes me, I mean, I, like I said, it just you're beautiful and amazing. But the <laughs> thing that I want to get to is like the heart of what, it is that makes you tick, that makes you say, I'm going to do that, or I want to try that, or I'm going to learn to fly. I mean, you, I, I, I think what you have is a zest for life that is, it's uncommon. You just, yeah. <laughs> how would you describe what, why, what, what, what drives you to learn and, and see and know and do? What, what is it in you? Have you thought about that at all? I've thought about it, and I'm really not sure. But my mother went to the eighth grade, but she was very, very creative. And, of course, in the early days, I did not realize how creative she really was. Mm -hmm. But if she had had the teachers that I've had, she would be on, it would be wonderful. Because she she did a lot of things. She ended up with a dress shop, mm -hmm. and she'd go to Dallas and buy the stocker store. And, and I think just kind of undermine her strength came into me. I got my strength from her. And and, and what, how, what do you mean her strength? In what ways was your mother strong? She was very positive. Mm. She was a very positive person. And I am extremely positive. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, and for instance, um, if something is broken and I try to fix it and it doesn't work, I don't just put it down. I try another way. If that doesn't work, I try something else. And I work with that until I get it working again. And even if I have to have help, I go get help. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't just leave something because I didn't get it done the first time. I sort of hang in with it. And even to this day, at, at home, Randy and the children would be doing something and be trying to figure out something, and I'd think about it, and I thought, well, why don't they do that, you know? I, I just have this quick, um, quick solution thing, you know. Uh, I, I can see things, I can see things and see how how they work and how how you can fix things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and for some people will try one time and that's it. You know, they, it didn't work. Well, heck, try it again, you know, and try it again mm -hmm. until it works. And I've been that way for a long, long, long time. And 
I, I, I'm a very, very, very positive person. I don't have any negative hardly in my life. I just don't have negativity in my life at all. And uh, I don't And by believe. that you mean you don't worry about things, you don't uh, harbor <laughs> anger <clears throat> or emptiness? <clears throat> no. I don't... I guess I've never really allowed myself to... Um, I don't get angry very much. You have to do something really bad to one of my friends to make me angry. I just don't like, I don't allow other people's actions to affect my thinking or my personality or my being. I don't, I just don't allow that, you know. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I seldom ever get bad. You know, I, I've had people say, well, I've never seen you mad. And I said, well, thank you. You know, I don't, I try not to. But, you know, some people will just get angry and yell all the time at, at the least little thing that You're goes You're very well. self-contained. I guess that's it. Because, um, you know, I have a few things like that that I just don't allow your actions to affect me. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, sometimes, some. There, there have been occasions that I couldn't help it. But the majority of the time, I don't let other people's actions affect me. It's, and that doesn't mean that I'm self-centered. Uh, it doesn't mean that, that I don't care. One lady said one time, well, you just don't care. I said, well, I care as much as you do. But I have a different approach to it. You let it get you let it make you angry, and I don't allow it to make me angry. But it doesn't make me not feel like whatever it is is wrong, and I don't agree with it. But I'm not going to get angry. Mm-hmm. I just don't do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I seldom ever yell to anybody, or you know. I, and I, I I don't I don't I think it, I I think. I think it's one thing is my mother and father were very, very peaceful people. Mm-hmm. I never in my life heard them argue. I never heard them speak a, a, an angry word. They just didn't get bad. They didn't get mad at each other. They discussed things. Mm-hmm. But I never, I never one time in my whole life heard them get angry at each other. So I think when you grow up in that atmosphere, you get this coding, which is wonderful, where you just don't you don't let things affect you. Mm-hmm. Your mother had the eighth grade education, and she had children. What did she do besides take care of children? Did she ever work or have to work? No, she didn't take care of children. No, you, the, her oh, children. Oh, oh, oh. oh, you're an only child, so she took yeah, care of you. Right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. was trying to place a sibling, but you're an only and child. And she had, she had strict disciplines that she put on me, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, she never did really get angry. And my daddy never did either. What did he do? He's a barber. A barber. He went to Dallas and got certified as a barber, went to school, came back, and he was a barber for the rest of his life. 
And your mother, did she work or just stay home she and worked, care for you? She worked several things. She had a little restaurant at the school one time. And, and then, then she then, got the dress shop when she was yeah, older. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How old was she when she started that? I don't really know. But you, but, but you were but grown. She, but, when, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, I had Sherry while she was had the dress shop. And Sherry had the cutest little dresses ever. <laughs> she, you know, she mother would go to, the, to Dallas to shop, and she'd always pick up these beautiful little dresses for Sherry. <laughs> wow. And so, Neat. but you know, um, and and my mother, my mother never got. She didn't get mad, and you know, some people just get mad at the least little thing. Mm-hmm. I, they just, and then they'll dwell on it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's no good. While they're dwelling, I'm thinking of what else I can learn. (laughs) 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 Because at home, in my joyful home, I have a piano that I play every day. I have a weaving loom that I work at. I've made over 30 scarves. I have a pottery wheel that I'm learning to bake pots, and I just love that. I'm not very good at it, but I'm working on it. And I have the sculpture. Don't forget you've been learning to crochet. Oh, yeah, and I learned <laughs> to crochet, taught myself how to crochet. And I then I have, and I read all the time. So I'm, you said you ha- always have a couple of books going. Yeah. What do you have mm-hmm. on the go right now? What are you reading? Right, right now I'm finishing one on Willie Nelson. Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love, I just love to read. And I have a Kindle that I, I just, you know, I, I just read all the time. But, um, but I'm always looking for something new to learn, you know. And, uh-huh. and right now I'm learning that crochet. And it, that's, it has given me so much joy. I just love it. I just love putting that little hook in that loop and pulling it through, you know. And you said it's like magic. Yeah, it's, it's like magic. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's how I feel about it. That's neat. You know, I was up at Aunt Betty's, and she was showing me some tablecloths that her mother-in-law crocheted. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're just beautiful. They are. I mean, they're works of art. There's one for, like, a dining table that's probably... Ten feet by what? What? What was the normal width of a dining table? Yeah, so it'd be know. like six feet across if it's going to drop yeah. down a little mm-hmm. bit. And she did every single one of those crocheted rounds and then crocheted them all together over and over and over. And they're beautiful. She was amazing. She really was. Mm-hmm. She was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But um, I, I, cro- I crocheted coming up here. Mm-hmm. I did about four or five rows. No, I three three rows on the way up here, and um, and I like to knit. Knitting, I, I enjoy knitting. Mm-hmm. I'm not real good at it. I, I, I mostly my knitting consists of scarves, mm-hmm. but I do for different stitches. I just finished one that turned out to be really pretty, and um, but I I like to I like to keep something that I'm knitting on. That way, if I get up that morning and I think, man, I, I think I'd, I'd like to knit for a little bit, go pick it up, knit a while, go back and do something else. I keep something 
on the needles that I can just pick up and, and knit for a little while. I, I knitted a lot, even, you know, right before I went to Canada, I taught myself to knit, and I made Alan some caps yeah, and a scarf, yeah, yeah. and then when I got there, I made some, I made a poncho that's oh, beautiful, yeah. I should show it to you, it, it's it's beautiful, and then, some but simple things, like I couldn't, there yeah. is a listener who made me some socks last year, and I, to me, the the ability to make a heel. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> or a toe for that yeah. matter. But yeah. the heel I just look at that I'm in awe of it. Mm-hmm. Because I could I, I Yeah. I don't uh, I mean I suppose if I really sat down and I had a good teacher, like you said, yeah. a good teacher is so important, yeah. but mm-hmm. I've just been self taught and yeah. the heel making a sock to me seems like building me a pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> See my my granddaughter who's about she's around 40, 42 or 3 some, and she learned to knit and crochet when she was 7 years old mm-hmm. and she has crocheted and knitted some of the most beautiful things you've ever laid your eyes on I've seen, I saw you, she showed me um, oh. last year uh, the, uh, the beautiful orange scarf and a couple of other things but just beautiful, yeah. beautiful work yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and she did her, I may have told you this but she did her daddy a quilt crocheted the quilt mm-hmm. in earth tones and the colors and that it, it's it's like a masterpiece mm-hmm. it is so beautiful and she she knits and crochets all the time mm-hmm. no matter where she is one day <laughs> we couldn't find any place to eat we ended up eating at Hooters you know that oh Hooters <laughs> she took her crochet in it <laughs> She did crochet up some of these girls with these short skirts on these men. <laughs> and she, did, she didn't care. She was a blue. She didn't she care. Was, yeah. <laughs> she, <laughs> that was so cute. But boy, she is. She's really good with the needle. Yeah, she really she's is. She's got coats and and my mother knitted me a dress and a coat and a scarf. That is the most beautiful thing you ever laid your eyes on. Really? Mm-hmm. And I lined the coat. I took that coat and I put it on the table and I opened it up. I, I made a pattern first of the uh-huh. coat. And then I took net, not tool, but net. You know, it's a little stiffer. Yes. And I cut the pattern and I put... I made the back and I put the net on the back and I hand whipped it to the to the knitting and did the same thing for the front. And then I made a satin, took the pattern, made a satin lining for the coat and I put it in the coat and made it. It just turned out, it was so beautiful. And then she made a scarf and a belt and I wore it to New York for the Macy's Parade and went in Saks Fifth Avenue (laughs) and a lady behind the counter said to me, that's the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. (laughs) I never will forget that. (laughs) Because it is, it's a, the color is um, a beautiful, beautiful shade of uh, orange. Mm. now it's not real dark 
and it's not real bright, you know. It's just a gorgeous shade of uh, orange, kind of almost like a salmon. It's not, it's not as light as salmon is, but it's about that color. Mm-hmm. So I well I want what I want to know so you um, don't get angry you don't let other people's actions affect you you have a joyful home you learn all the time you read you do your art projects is there are there like words of wisdom or things to live by? any I mean what are you most proud of in your life what are you most what do you live by what are you most proud of those are two different questions but. I'm proud of the fact that I succeeded in being a band director because when you think about it and think about learning all those instruments and teaching Mm -hmm. students how to play the instruments, I'm very proud of the method that I learned to learn how to teach those instruments. And I'm very proud of the, the relationship that I still have with a lot of my students. I have one student that was in my very first class that just emailed me the other day. We have stayed in touch all these years. Mm-hmm. I'm very proud of that because that tells me that they cared, you know, that they cared and they appreciated what their teachers were doing. So I'm proud of that. And then I'm just proud of um, being able to, what I call, kind of going with the flow. You know, I'm proud. I'm proud that I don't get involved where I shouldn't get involved. I keep my mouth shut when I need to keep it shut. Sometimes that's hard, but I do it. And and I'm just proud that of what my mother taught me by her actions to keep learning and to be patient, very, very patient person. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud that, that I don't get angry and waste time being angry. Mm-hmm. That Being angry is a waste of time. It really is, you know. I have a, I have a friend, she, she gets angry, she'll be angry for a week. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the last week. Mm-hmm. I just don't do that. I don't do it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm just kind of proud that I'm as calm as I am and that I enjoy my life and I try to help other people. Uh, I, I do my best to help other people. And, and I appreciate, right now, being 95, I really appreciate the help of other people. Mm-hmm. And I have found that in the valley, it has been amazing at how helpful those people are. Mm-hmm. And so, well, see, that's the one thing. I mean, what really distresses me is all of the uh, division that is artificially created. So it's uh, Democrat versus Republican, and Black versus White, and Mexican versus White, and mm-hmm. you know. Division, division, division. It's hatred, it's anger, and like you said, it's wasted time. And Mm -hmm. I always say, well, 
we do, we all have a common enemy, and it isn't each other. It's you know, there's other people that are pulling right, the strings. Right. Why get angry with each yeah. other? Mm-hmm. And I, it, it, it makes me feel good that you have learned that because yeah. I learned that many many years ago. You know that yeah. that there is something beautiful. In the Mexican culture, and there is, well, there are lots of beautiful things. But mm-hmm. one of the things that I always liked was their devotion to family. Yeah. And like you said, they're always busy. There's a birthday party or an anniversary or a wedding mm-hmm. or a funeral yeah. or you know. But yeah. their devotion to family is mm-hmm. pretty. Amazing. And especially to the elders. Yes. You know. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a lady that comes two hours a week. And helps me, and she is just the loveliest little person. I just love her, and she's only been working for me for about three or four weeks, maybe a little longer. But she'll say, "No, no, Miss Mary, I'll do that." You know, I'll try to help her, and she says, "No, no, I'll do that." And then she helps me. She helps me cook. She does the laundry for me, and that has been a really big help. But they're just so. That's high. great that you um, that you've. Huh? That's great that you've done that because yeah. you didn't have that mm-hmm. last year. Mm-hmm. It was just you. And I have good housekeepers now, and I have yard men, and I have this lady that comes two hours a week. I told Betty Ann, I said, Betty Ann, I think you're eligible for that. And so I'm going to send her the information and see if she can call and, and get her two it's, hours it's a week. It's something that the state pays for or Social Security? It's United Health. Mm. And it doesn't cost me a penny. Mm-hmm. And she comes every week mm-hmm. and helps me. And it's it's amazing. At first, they said, you know, we give you eight hours a month. And I thought, oh, well, that's not much. And then two hours a week, well, that's not much. But, boy, after the first time she came, I thought, this is really going to help me. And it has, mm-hmm. you know. That's so, great. Um but anyway, you know, um, to be 95 and to be as happy as I am, I think it's it may be a little unusual. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love you, and I am glad that you just got to pop up here for a couple of days. Oh, and um, I was looking forward to it. Yeah. So yeah. I, I'm I'm hoping that it's not too much longer before we get to see each other again. And I, I thank you for <laughs> being such a good sport and sitting down and recording this with me. Oh. Nobody's safe. That's right. <laughs> Come in the house. I'm going to make them talk into the microphone. <laughs> oh, well, it's 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 kind of, you know it's it's fun to reminisce, reminisce um, about. You know the various things that have happened, and Evadine and I have had—we've had some really. Ev- Evadine is is um, Mary's friend. That she—that was part of the reason that she came up. She's in a nursing home. She had a fall. Um, possibly there were some other complicating health issues. They never really got to the bottom of it. But Evadine is ninety-eight years old and still sharp as a tack. Mm-hmm. 
and Evadine and Mary have traveled literally all over the world. Well, oh, they, okay. they've been all over the country. <laughs> they've been to Mexico a few times together, and Europe. Had some, at Europe. Have oh you yeah. Been? Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've had some adventures and some misadventures. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> lots of lots of memories, and uh, and and I enjoy. I really enjoy thinking about them. You know, and I, I wrote to. To Everdeen the other day, and I wrote about. Let's see, what did. Which one did I write about? I think I wrote about the time we were in Mexico and we rode the bus and didn't, didn't hear the instructions. And we got back and the bus was gone. And Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the one I wrote her about, and I thought she'd get a kick out of it, and she did. <laughs> that was quite an adventure. That was. Mm-hmm. But nearly every time we went on. We went on a trip. We went, we went to Puerto Vallarta. I can't ever say it correctly. Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> we spent a week down there. That was fun. She flew in from one place, and I flew in from another, and we met at the airport. And uh, so we've had we've had a really good time. But and but two or three, two or three times, I look at it now, and I'm thinking, you girls could have really gotten in trouble, you know. We were in a taxi going the wrong direction, <laughs> you know. But um, but we <laughs> we finally got the taxi driver to stop, and we found a man that spoke English, and and I remembered the name of the district. We didn't know. <laughs> we hardly knew where we were going, but I remembered the district. And when I said that, this man said, "Oh," so then he rattled off to the taxi. <laughs> <laughs> and the taxi drivers took us to the place. Well, they could have taken us anywhere. Yeah. But they didn't. But um, that was so funny because everything pointed that that direction and, and called out where she thought we were going. <laughs> oh, but anyway, we, we've had a good time. That's great. And so, and you know. I look back and uh, and I think you know how fortunate I've been. Mm-hmm. I've been a very fortunate person. Uh, I've had some uh, I've had some rough times, and I've had some rough situations. But I've always managed to um, try to stay as calm as I could and get out of it. You know, figure out what to do. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I, I was really looking forward to coming up here <laughs> and, and having some time with Betty, and she's such a nice lady. And uh, so, but maybe, maybe you can come to see us again. Yes, I'd love to do that. <laughs> well, I think we'll say goodbye to the listeners, and um, if there's any other word of wisdom or anything else you want to share, but otherwise, we'll. I would just like to express the beauty and um, the beauty of learning of, of of learning new things. I think people that that strive to learning new things are very happy people, and I think that's one thing that could really help a lot of people get on the happy side instead of on the other side. Mm-hmm. 
And so I would advise people to find something you want to learn, get a good teacher, and learn it. Good advice. <laughs> That's good advice. <laughs> um, All right. Well, I thank you so much for doing this with me. It was fun. Well, thank and, you. Um, I, yeah, I'll definitely want to head down to South Texas. Yeah. Well, it was a new experience for me. <laughs> <laughs> and we've learned that you love new experiences. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my. All right. Mm. Thank you. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. So thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. And next week, on the 14th of September, I'll be joined in conversation with Neil Foster. So thank you, as always, for tuning in. Goodbye. Thank you.